welcome to the show today, our first father-son combination. First of all, Eric Watts is making his return. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And we also have, I'm very pleased and privileged and humbled to say that the seven-time North American champion, a member of the George Tragus and Luthes Wrestling Observer and WWE Hall of Fames, Bill Watts, Cowboy Bill Watts, is with us on Mid-South Moments. How are you doing today, Bill? Well, I'm doing very well. I'm still on the right side of the dirt, although some days I feel like I'm slipping. I think you're, you're looking very well, and and I, it's, it's such a such. A, I never thought we could get to this day, but it's uh, it's quite mad to have in my notes things that you say on the television show that I'm going to be asking you about. So, um, what we're here to talk about today is the very famous November the sixteenth, nineteen eighty-five episode of Mid South Wrestling, uh, which is. The, it's the Ted DiBiase versus Ric Flair show, which, you know, a lot of people are very familiar with. So, Bill, if I can take you back in time, we'll get in our time machines to November 1985. Um, the UWF name change was, was a few months away. How are you feeling? Can you remember how you're feeling at this time? Um, you know, obviously Crockett and Vince were go- had gone national, really. There's a lot of, lot of things going on. Can you, were you very focused on your business at the time or you get, was there lots of noise elsewhere? Well, you're always aware of the national situation, but we were focused on our own. And by the way, every time any of them came into our area, we killed them. Mm, yeah. We, we, we just killed them. Even Vince told me, he said, I never, every show he put in there against me, we destroyed it with the difference in the, was we'd run something right against it. And, and the same thing happened in Dallas. I mean, these little areas were, were you know, the, the, with the well-run promotions. Uh, so, Eric can keep you better prize of the time. I'm 82 years old now and going back that far, you know, my memory is not that sharp on everything, but Eric, Eric, it was, was uh, involved in a lot of things and growing up. And so if there's questions like that, he can straighten it out because he's the one that he's the one that hooked me onto this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Eric. I was going to, I was going to say in follow up to that, do, do you both remember? I, 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 and I don't know the dates, obviously, maybe Eric, you do. I understand by this time that Bill Dundee was no longer doing some of the creative stuff behind the scenes. And actually Dick Slater was working on that side of things. So was, was that a well, difficult you know, transition? I'd get about a, I'd get about a year out of a book. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, and I booked myself. So I understand it. At some point you start repeating, mm. you, you just have run out of everything. Bill Dundee, we made more money with Bill as our booker than any other booker. Mm. Bill had a, he had a brilliant mind. And we did a lot of things. We, we, Jim Ross had me studying demographics more. And uh, we, there was a, 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 great, a great meeting where we, uh, we were flat attendance-wise. And we mm. had the best, the toughest talent in the business. And we had uh, Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Law, the King Lawler come in to one of my television shows and just watch it. And then we met afterwards to discuss it. And what we understood, I, I won't go into their vernacular because it's very basic. It's, but, it's in the book. So, yeah, check out, check out the we, book. Uh, yeah. We uh, came to the concept that there were, there were no young people in our matches, mm. especially the young girls. Because where the young girls are, the young guys are. And so Absolutely. they kept saying, you know, where are these type of people? And I was laughing about it. I said, I didn't bring you over here because those are your cousins and they're still in Tennessee. But the bottom line is... We had the toughest guys. We didn't have the young guys that attracted the younger audience. And that's when I went over then to Memphis. And there were some guys he'd, he'd run through. 
And then I gave him a pick of some of the guys that I didn't have room for at the time. And we made a big trade. And I got Dundee. I got the Rock and Roll Express, who a fabulous team. Mm. And then I got the Midnight Express that we put together. Uh, Jimmy Cornette, I wanted to slap him just looking at him that night. <laughs> and Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton, they had, weren't even a team. And we put them all together. And another thing was happening. Uh, Joel, uh, my my oldest son at that time, who was adopted adopted son, was really good at video and learning. And we put together music videos with the talent like Jerry Jarrett was doing and Jimmy Hart. And we we found out that we could have a guy over and the people excited before they ever got here. Mm. And we started building things like that. We had a dynamite run with Dundee. I had a big run with Ernie Ladd. Ernie Ladd is the finest guy I ever met. Fabulous athlete, fabulous person. Uh, ben Dundee, we had a short run with Buck Robley. Uh, so different bookers that I could figure they'd last about an, a, a year. And then Jim Ross was always on my uh, inner circle. He, he, Jim was such a student of the business. And uh, and we would, we, that's what we did. And primarily it was, it was all machine through the television. Mm. And so we did very, very well. We, we what happened to us, in this period of time that was a classic was when oil went to $12 a barrel. It wiped out the oil states. I mean, wiped them out. I remember so you reading about like, that, the mega like, trend, like, I think you called it in your book, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Louisiana yeah. was set up break-even government at $20 a barrel. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, all entertainment went down. Airline companies went broke. Hotels went broke. All entertainment canceled out of the oil states. Yeah. I mean, that story I told in the book about Jim Ross and the hookers in, in, in New Orleans, that's a true story. The yeah, hooker, yeah. All the hookers had gone. I read that just today. There. Yeah, yeah. But what I, that was, was the fact there was no entertainment money. Mm. So that's what really put the hurt on us at that point in time. Skipping forward, actually, and I'd have a question for the end. We'll, we'll get into the show in a moment. Do you think, because um, obviously your show, your show on TBS, the Superstation, when it was on there on the Sundays in 85, was doing really good rating. Do you think with everything that happened in your home markets, if you'd stayed on TBS, if, if Turner had been happy to have two wrestling companies on there, which they could have done, I'm sure they'd have drawn the numbers. Do you think that would have been enough to... You could have moved the live cards away from your home markets, or would it not? Would it still? Would it still have been such a dramatic it effect? Been, it would have, we'd have made it big there. Turner is one of these guys who's a brilliant guy, but you realize his word's no good to you, but he expects mm. your word to be good to him. Sure, yeah. We yeah. made a deal, and I went out and bought a bigger airplane to help to help go back and forth. But then Jimmy got in under the underneath, from what I'm told, and and gave Turner a million dollars to take him instead of me. Yeah. Turner broke his deal with us. And that screwed us pretty well as, as far as mm. that goes. No, we'd have, we'd have kicked ass. Yeah, I think so, with that television we, show. Yeah, we, yeah. We, could draw, we, could, we could draw the money. And we made, we made our own talent. We, we were a talent-making machine. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know, if you know this, but the, the Wrestling Observer newsletter readers, so not Dave Meltz himself, but the readers, voted your television show, the best weekly television show in 85 and 86, and your and you were promotion of the year in 86 in those awards. So it's like, you know, this was clicking, this was connecting, even with some of the faces from the early, early 85, having moved on by the time that we're looking at it now. It was, it was still working, wasn't it? And I think that's, that's it the key worked. thing. It, yeah. had, it hadn't changed a point, to, a point not of this show, but 
when I was over there trying to straighten out WCW for Ted, mm. uh, we did a deal where we changed the title to Ron's, uh, who was it, Ron Simmons? Son? Ron Simmons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ron Simmons. And, and we did it the old way. And the people in the audience were crying. Yeah. The, the matches were so good. And I said to the guys, I said, look at that. I told you. If you work right, they buy it. Mm. If you don't, they don't. You guys can still control your own destiny, but you're giving it away. And if you give it away, in a few years, there'll be nothing. There'll be mm. a few of you making big money for one company. And there'll be, see, the good thing about all the little companies out there was your talent pool. Otherwise, you had no place for talent to learn and to grow. Yes. So when these all these little promotions, the guys could go through it and learn and, and, and develop. They could make a living. So you had a giant talent. Matt, Vince and I discussed this. He, he, I said you made a mistake not working with some of the, the smaller places because once you put somebody on, even nobody, everybody gets tired of chocolate cake if it's every week. Yeah, and I think and that's... Don't have, yeah. You don't have a way to switch your talent. And, and, and so that was the big fallacy, but it proved even, even after the so-called everything was changing that we could still compete. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, and as I, I, I mean, we'll, we'll go, I'll go through this in more detail as we as we talk about this angle in, in in a bit more depth. But for me, I mean, I've I've been a wrestling fan since the late eighties. So I grew up on the back end of world of sport in in an ITV here in the UK. But and I've you know I've been through the WCW, the Monday Night Wars, etc. But this is this is really. I mean, you know, I, I don't need to tell you this. I'm only a fan, but this is really enjoyable stuff, and I've really enjoyed watching this promotion and, and on to this show. So this is from November the 16th, 1985, this first aired. Um, and this is this is the follow-up to Big Angles last week. So we've got Jim Ross and Joel at the desk. Jim Duggan's there to start off with and they run down the card um, and Joel explains that it was due to be Ric Flair versus Butch Reed for the NWA world title, but due to the injuries that Butch had obtained last week, and that was an angle with, um, with Dick Slater and also Flair himself, that basically Ted DiBiase would be would be replacing Reed, uh, and then Duggan talked about. I don't even remember this one, um, Bill and, and Eric. The heavy duty angle involving Buzz Sawyer and his then girlfriend, who I now believe is his wife. I don't know if you remember that one with the the elbow drop in the corner, and it was quite a heavy duty angle with with Hacksaw that um it kind of happened a couple of weeks before that, and he'd sort of reviewed the tape to see if Buzz Sawyer had deliberately done what he did or not. Eric, you're sort of smiling. I think that's that, that's certainly in your, your memory banks, well, isn't it? I really don't remember the incident. You know, there were so much good things going on. But yeah, what I'm what I'm saying is as you're talking about this show, do you see the talent we had? The talent oh, yeah, was unbelievable. amazing. Yeah. Matter of fact, you had you had a part of the show you had Dick Murdoch. Mm. Now when Dick Murdoch punches DiBiase, I think, when have you ever seen a working punch that good? I had to, I watched it three oh, times. Not, not today. <laughs> not no. today's market. I mean, a no. working punt, Dick Murdoch was, was one of the all-time greats. Dickie Slater at one time was one of the greats until he started copying Terry Funk too much. And I said, if I wanted Terry Funk, I'd book Terry Funk, mm. Dickie. You're, you become a, a clone and, and it's taken away from you. So, you know, you had to work with him. And then Duggan, who we gave the gimmick to, and we formed Duggan and he became a star. Hmm. But, but Divias was that great rookie that we had a lot with. And it was just, Divias was a great catalyst in any match. Yeah. Because he made the match get over. Yes, yeah. He's so good. I mean, I saw all of his stuff as the Million Dollar Man later on, but I've never seen any of this stuff before. And it's just like, 
I almost feel bad that this, I mean, I know you had a wonderful career, but you think, oh, where's that world title run, whether it's WWF or NWA or, you know, where, you know, where's that, where's that one, you know, after this all finished, but that's, um, yeah, Teddy was just, just phenomenal. Um, they also, on the show, they also recap the closing sequences of, of the Flair and Reed non-title match the week before, um, which I thought was just phenomenal. So Reed got the win after his spear move. Crowd went, you know, ballistic. And then after that, um, you know, Reed was part of the heavy duty beatdown. So he, he got the win, but he was taken out of the situation. And then there was enough for you to want to see. Well, I want to, I still want to see him and Flair and I still want to see him and him and Slater. So it was still, that was what it was all about, wasn't it? Sure. And yet no, no other promotion would have put that on their TV. Yeah, yeah. See, they thought that, that they had to save it. With me, we would drive you crazy with that. You'd want to go see that match even more now. Well, this is it. If I'm, I've said on the show numerous times. I'm like, if I was, if I was living in, um, you know, New Orleans or um, Tulsa or wherever, I'm buying a ticket to that show next month to see whether it's Magnum in '84, '85, or whoever it is. And if, and, and I don't, I'll, I'll get on something later on about the DBOC Flair match when I was watching this today, and I was desperate for something not to happen. I'm like, I'm bought into this. I know that Ted DiBiase doesn't win the title here because I just know, but I'm, I'm fully on board with this match. I'm just like, this, this is really exciting stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. They then had a promo with with Reed in in the neck brace, talking about he's he's going to come back and face later. Um, I know that you you spoke very highly of Butch Reed in your in your book. I just wondered sort of what your some what your some of your memories guy, of, great, of Butch Reed. Yeah, he just passed away. He passed away just this past year, I believe. Butch did. Yes, Butch, he did. Yeah. He used to call me every now and then, and it's always good when one of those guys give you a call. And yeah, uh, I still talk to DBIC fairly often, and. And people like that, you know, but it's, it's a matter of fact, I, Eric had just got me Jim Duggan's number. I'm trying to get a hold of him because I heard he had some surgery. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know how it went, you know, but Duggan, uh, they're just, you know, these guys are part of your life. And, and I'm 82 years old now. So, so many of them are passed on. I'm outliving them. And it's just mm. like you lose a hunk of yourself. It must be very difficult with all your contemporaries it, it, and well, stuff. When, yeah. Ernie Ladd, when Ernie Ladd passed. Yeah. Yeah, I cried for a couple of days. He he was just that important because I learned so much from Ernie about what he'd experienced being black. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, and and of course I was friends with Thunderbolt Patterson. T Bolt was a was a great great worker. Uh, he just had that something that the crowd would buy into, you know. But you, you also could see why they didn't trust anybody. Mm. Such a hard thing going through all that, but there were so many of them. And then Butch Reed, and then Ron Simmons was such a high, a classy athlete, great football player. You know, so yeah. many really great people that we got to deal with. J, uh, JYD, we gave JYD the gimmick and everything. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, because he's big he daddy Ritter up in um, uh, Quacky Stew Hart, Calgary. I so Stampede, wasn't he up there? That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, Gr yeah. Grizz's son cued us to him. Mm, mm. Yeah. And he was a megastar. I mean, again, he's, he, he was so, he's gone he for was few so years bad. He, could, he couldn't work with a dam. Yeah. yeah I don't, do you remember the story of the book about I'd sit Ernie Ladd and a 20 minute I draw? Yeah. I fired Ernie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can completely see that. It's, it's a bit like the, Paul, the old Paul Heyman thing. And you, you're obviously the same. Uh, accentuate the positives and hide the hide the weaknesses. Because, you know, why do you want to go and put someone in a situation where they're going to fail? And I well, suppose that, yeah. Ernie. Ernie understood what was happening for the black athlete in my, in my business. Mm. So he held the black guys to a higher standard even than I would because he wanted it to succeed. 
Mm. So here's JYD. He's going to test him. Mm. And I didn't want him tested. I want him to see what he could take and we could build on. Because mm. I knew that I could feel the charisma. Yes. And yeah. so with me, a lot of times I would see it before the person would. And then you get them there. Like I was there booking Dusty when he actually became the American dream. Mm. And the interview that he said that transcended it, I broke out in goose pump, pimples on my arms and body when he was doing it. And I knew it was there. Yeah. Yeah. Then from then on, you got to battle them to keep their heads from out growing their bodies. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it about wrestling? There's something about wrestling. You, you do. I mean, I've never worked in wrestling, but I mean, I've been, I've traveled the world watching wrestling, but there are moments that make, it's almost like an out of body experience sometimes, isn't it? Especially oh, some of the promos. It is. The, yeah. the whole thing is. Yeah. It's pure there's so art. Many, there's so many unique things that happen in it. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, and then like Terry Funk right now, who, Terry's getting a home right now. He's, he's getting dementia. Mm. So I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, you know, and they're all, you know, but that whole thing, his dad was such a character, mm. the old man, you know, and then, then, then Dory Funk was one of the greatest world champions we had. Dory was just a master at, 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 at the wrestling heel. I wish some more of that stuff in the 70s was, was a I mean, 80s stuff is you can get a lot of, but 70s stuff is harder to find. And like, obviously, a lot of the live events where they were doing the longer matches just doesn't exist, unfortunately. Um, talking about sort of 70s and actually into the, um, into the 80s, one of the questions I wanted to ask is on the show, we had Flair come in and do, do a you know, classic promo talking about having a crying towel for butchery and all this sort of stuff. And one of your earliest moves with Mid South um, was moving away from sort of NWA membership. Um, Clearly, you had some good ties with this. Did, did, did was the relationship always good with the NWA? Did it? Was, yeah, yeah. Or did you have any problems with them? I did something nobody did, and Sam mm. Mushnick recognized the value of it. Right. Okay. Yeah. I said, Sam, it'd be a good idea for you to have somebody not a member to recognize your champion and use your champion. Yeah, in a slightly because different way. The I suppose, NWA was yeah. under a consent decree yeah. from an old an old lawsuit. So I was the only guy ever that used the, the champion, recognized him, and and went to the conventions, but was not a member. Yeah, yeah. So you had the best of both worlds, really, I suppose, didn't you? You get to get the champion in, and you weren't having under the pressure to get, I guess, to you know have some of the other guys beat your top guys at the same time and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, everything worked. It just worked well, and it was a good move for them. It, it turned out to be a strategic move for them. Yeah, definitely. So because moving I in, along, I got along with everybody in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's clear to see from the relationships in, in, in the book. So, Eric, I'm going to ask you a question now. What are your? So, we're going to move into the introduction, the first introductions of two for this world title match. Do you remember this being a really big deal when you were when you were first sort of around this and watching this at the time? Because this is the thing I see on my social media for Mid South. Loads of I've, I see this almost I see this this match and this this television episode referred to every single week. So what what are your memories of this um this this setup for the DiBiase and Flair uh, episode? Really, I suppose. Well, well, looking at it from the fans' perspective, because so many of the fans are new fans, they they weren't watching it at the time, mm. you know. So because I've relived this. I absolutely see what they're saying. It becomes a talking point. Yes. However, however, during the period, the way I felt was, it, it was like every time you watched Mid-South, it was the first time you watched it because there was something new. 
Like yeah. when you watch in the match, when you watch in the match, how Doctor Death blows by to check on Ted DiBiase, and he touches no one. Yeah, and the reason reason why is Dicky just came out, and 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 Teddy just took this unbelievable bump over the top rope, perfectly landing his head um, uh, on the barricade, um, and and so my dad, the way he wrote things and put things together, uh, I've been at federations where then they would probably want. Uh, um, uh, Doctor Death to go to go interfere and get yep, everybody yep. had a role, everybody had a position, and everyone played that role. So I'm not putting over the fact that I mean it's an incredible angle, but so much of his writing was that way all the time. Yeah, sure. It, 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 right? It was. It's just this is the one. This seems to be one that people. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, you think you see the two big big names who, who you know went on and had huge careers afterwards in this wonderful kind of earlier career angle i suppose and it's like it's just like a well, light bulb's on it isn't it yeah and, and you and you look how flair's name is iconic so then there's a lot of fans from a name recognition and the mm. million dollar man name recognition and, and and not to veer from this show but i'll tell you a hilarious story that i think that, that your fans will enjoy i remember i was up at uh, wwe and 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 sean um sean michaels had pulled me aside and he's like, hey, Eric, you know, I understand that, um, you know, I would really, uh, you know, I'm having kids and, and they're growing up and all they've ever seen is their dad win, 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 win. And he goes, but they, I have nothing of the older stuff. I have nothing. Mm. I go, OK, well, I said, uh, I said, well, what can I do for you? He's like, is there any way you can get me some of the old Mid-South sports? And I said, well, I probably could. So I call my I call my brother. I said, hey, Michael, do you have some stuff of Sean Michaels? Right. And he goes, yeah. He goes, can you, you can get four or five matches? That shouldn't take long. And so he, I, and I wasn't listening to the whole thing. I said, hey, send it here. Sean calls me back up. He goes, Eric, I don't know whether I'm happy or depressed. He goes, <laughs> I don't think he goes, he goes, I don't know if I had an offensive move. I got my ass kicked. So incredible. I don't know what your dad saw in me. I go, no, the thing about it was is you took the greatest ass whooping I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, everything you did was perfect, and 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 you could just tell he was a fireball. But you, but 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 even even then, I had to wait for a second. And go, hold on, Shawn Michaels was at Mid South. You know, you 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 have to go back and think of that's how many incredible athletes. And I can't tell you the Macho Man, the Shawn Michaels, and all these people. My dad had this name for having the most killer locker room. And I'm not talk, talking about killer in in good, killer in. You better not. You better know who you're messing with because mm. there's a bunch of athletes and killers. But then there was this misnomer for a while that but that my dad only liked big guys, Doc and Hacksaw, and it's not true. Macho Man and and Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels goes, "Had your dad not given me a chance, I wouldn't be here." Uh, Macho Man pulled me aside when I was at WCW and he was at WWE, and we were in Philly and they're in Baltimore. We ended up staying at the same hotel that night. Mm. It was phenomenal, and I just wanted to come up and say hello to him. And, and I was going to say, hey, hello, I really appreciate watching. And he just cut me off, sat me down, and he just sat there and said, do you understand there is no Macho Man with a cowboy, without Cowboy Bill Watts? And this is why. People thought I was too small. People thought of this. People, Your dad didn't see me, my size. He saw my athleticism. Um, so going back to what I was saying with the, with the angle, he's got so many stars coming in that can fulfill what he's asking that he can actually write something out and people will go and do it. Whereas towards my end of my career, the egos were so amazing that 
once someone laid something out, then you'd see everyone scatter and go to whoever they knew was most important to change the angle yeah. or change their role. Or they would pull <laughs> another athlete aside and say, hey, I, instead of doing this, why don't we do this? I mean, there, there was just so much. So looking back, unbelievable angle. I remember this. I remember this match. It's incredible. Um, however, living it, every time we watched it on TV, it was incredible. Yeah. We were waiting to, we were waiting because, 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 you know, all this is filmed in Louisiana and these places. So it wasn't like it was, this wasn't filmed in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We weren't seeing this. We weren't seeing this live. Now, yes, my father um, would take us on the road with, you know, summers or, you know, when we didn't have certain things to do. So we got to see it and be around it. So we watched it as the fans and you, you did, you, yeah. you saw it, but, but, but every week we were just, we were chomping at the bit to see the next, the next situation. I mean, th th this was incredibly well done. And Bill, something I really liked is, and actually AEW have kind of stolen this from you, um, was the World Heavyweight title match was up first and it was with television time remaining. So it's, if you were having a legitimate, you know, legitimate fight card, you had an hour to put it in, you'd put the main event first. So you make sure it would finish. And I just thought that it, that's, you talk about this in your book in terms of realism. I just think that's such a, no, a really good point because that's a cool, you wouldn't have the main event with five minutes to go right at the end so that's such a, such a great spot um this was a kind of a bit of a um kind of a schmoz I guess at the start and DBS came out still playing the role of bad guy per se at this point um but they got quite a good reaction from the crowd and then obviously what happened was Dick Murdoch came out sort of challenged DBS to say you know I should be having this this title match, not you. Uh, and obviously, sort of fired back with him. And as you said, Bill, some incredible punches. I, I actually, I actually skipped back a few times because these guys were going at it. And basically, um, Ted ended up on the floor. Uh, Murdoch threw him into the ring post, and he was he was busted wide open. And Flair got on the microphone and had an incredible line to say, "This is a, tr a terrible tragedy." He did the woo, <laughs> and then he said he was going home without breaking a sweat. So Ooh, without um, breaking a sweat. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll 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 follow up with some questions a bit later in this because I, I want to get I want to get to the main chunk of it before we um before I throw away all my questions. But yeah, this was as a viewer, I think you're thinking. Um, this world title match is probably not happening at this point, but but you're still intrigued. What ha what happens with Dibiase? I know we're going to get an update on him. So you're still bought in. You're thinking, I'm probably not going to get this. And it's, I think that's some of the genius in this. Um, we had a match um, kind of to separate the segments between El Casario and Hacks or Jim Duggan. And um, Bill, I guess El Casario was in WWF when you, when you were there. It was Savio Vega. Did he joined by that point? In, was it 95? Uh, El Casario was Savio Vega. Eric, you're gonna to have to help me with that. I'm uh, you know what me. though, I you know until he said that, I didn't know that was because I knew Savio Vega as um, um, you know coming from Puerto Rico and everything, and I knew him at WWE. Hmm. But I, but so sometimes I watch matches back in the mid south because, you know, uh, let me say this: I didn't walk into locker rooms and people not have their masks on. Yeah, of course. And he was masked right, here. Right, yeah, yeah. right, right. And, and so even when I watched the match, they said, that they, they just slammed him 330 pounds. I was like, I wonder who that was. Because I, <laughs> I have no I have no idea. Matter yeah. of fact, I, I, I asked my dad one time, uh, and I think it was, uh, no, it was Mr. Wrestling 2. And so it was after the matches and everyone's leaving and, and just being a kid, I'm like, so dad, man, you know, they wear their masks everywhere. He goes, they better. And I go, so my dumb ass said, so they don't go anywhere. And he goes, no, they go places. And when I was saying that here comes Mr. Wrestling too, 
out of the shower area and he put on a different mask where the bottom of his mouth cut out. I go, Mr. Wrestling too. He goes, I got to go eat. <laughs> so literally, <laughs> literally he was going to go to Waffle House or something and he was going to eat. So he was in the mask. mask. He was in the mask. He was in the yeah. mask. Yeah. Oh, he goes, I wear it everywhere. Well, yeah, people don't see me. Stop and think about the fact that, that, that Jimmy Carter's mother was a huge fan yeah, of wrestling. I've heard this, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's possibly the only guy that went, went to visit her with a mask on. With the Secret, Secret Service. Service didn't want him to go there with a mask, did they? Which is, I guess, a fair point. But, yeah, that's incredible. Sorry. But talk about living the gimmick. I mean, that is, that's a whole, oh, a whole different was, level, he, isn't it? He was, a, he was a super guy. He was very serious. Yeah. Very serious about the business. Yeah, that's... that's oh, yeah, he, yeah. You know, you, you know, before a big main event in Atlanta... I wrestled him and took the title from him on Atlanta TV right in the middle. And uh, th that's the crazy way we did things because he was one of our biggest stars. Mm. And I was going to go against the world's champions. I can't remember the, the angle, but, but we, we felt that we could have anything happen. And so it didn't have to follow what was expected ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well that, and that's a, that's a good thing as well. I think with any sport, like you, I mean, you, I can see you've got an, a Sooners jersey on there, Bill. You probably there's probably some weeks you think, well, actually, we're probably going to win this, but then some weeks you might not win that game. And I think that wrestling, you might be able to predict it some of the time, but then like a real sport, sometimes the you know the the the, the hundred to one underdog is going to win the big one, isn't it? And that's there's got to be some element of that, isn't there? In this tape you're talking about. Where Murdoch run, was it Murdoch that ran BBS head into the pole? Yes, yes, yeah. The first time they ran Teddy's head in was in Shreveport. Mm. And Teddy had the gaff ready. They run his head in and they hit the damn deal so hard he split himself open. Oh, and then he's he. still trying to gaff himself. He's half conscious. And he had to, had to go get stitched up. Oh, dear. <laughs> so the following week, they did it, did it to him again. I'll be damned. He's hit his head on the. He hit the pole too hard and split himself. Oh. I said, kid, you're not going to make a month of here. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's some serious bad luck there, isn't it? Um, yeah. so going back to the show, Doug, so Doug and won this short match with the body block spear in one minute. But in the next segment, Bill, this is this is your bit, which I really enjoyed. So you were backstage. This just feels weird. I'm, yeah. I, yeah. But anyway, well, I'll try and do this in a slight, as, as awkward, uh, awkward free by as possible. But you were backstage and you, you had a tone that was... Like you were, and, and Joel does this at the end, and I think this is really good. And both, of, I think, I think these were two of your key strengths in terms of the tone, fit, the moment, and the severity of it. So it was almost like you were a news reporter reporting on, you know, I don't know, front line of the war, or you know, something really bad happening. Talking about how you know Debiosi had suffered, um, had a bad injury, and they were struggling to stop the bleeding, um, but he demanded to have a match with Flair. And then you said something that really made me laugh. So you said that you, you'd been at the the, the Superdome when Roberto Duran fought Sugar Ray Leonard, <laughs> and stomach, how yeah. Duran had quit because he had a stomachache, and that turned your stomach, and that really made me laugh. So <laughs> clearly, that 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 made an impression, um, and you just sort of built built again around. You know, when someone has a world title match, you just got to do whatever you can to make it happen. Um, and then you went on to say, you, you know, you, that you'd informed um, Joel and Jim Ross at ringside. And also then another bit, which which I thought was so good. And again, I, I'm sure you're putting a lot of thought into, you know, all of this in terms of parameters and how you're going to pitch this. But around how he's got a, he's got a bandage on his head, you know, it yeah. may come loose. 
so if you know if you're watching with kids bit of parental discretion here um or if you've got a weak stomach and the, the match would not be stopped for blood and i was like you talking about the tingling i was like this is gonna be something here Ar- so, arterial damage arterial that's it that's it damage. arterial damage Arter- yes and 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 and, and, the, and the beauty of the art you know that i see is is as i was taught in, you know shakespeare right mm. so thinking thinking ahead enough sometimes sometimes he would take the obvious and make it and, and, and give you a takeaway in your head. Like I couldn't, when I watched that again the other day, I, I, I didn't even remember. I'm like, Holy shit. How genius he's saying, he's saying, this is so bad that I should not air it, but I, yeah. I can't take the opportunity not to. And so, so think about all the different layers. Now as a fan, I'm so thankful that Bill Watts is not, as a parent, I'm saying thank you for allowing me to give time to put my kid away if that's it. But it even hyped the moment even more, right? Um, and, 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 you know, back in the day, you know, because now it also gives you a, oh, my gosh, so you're not thinking it's fake. Oh, the fake thing is going to come right back on. What he's saying is I shouldn't air this, but I'm going to air this because it's too important. So now all of a sudden you're in the moment knowing it's real. You know, there was a guy named Raven that wrestled over here. And, and things have, you know, gotten crazy. And Raven pulled me aside one time. We're at ECW, I mean, at, uh, not ECW, but TNA together. He goes, you know what the, he goes, not when your dad was wrestling. He goes, do you know, do you know what the definition of a good match is now, Eric? I said, no, Rave, tell me. He goes, in the last 10 seconds of that match, when the finish is happening and people get so involved in the dance we're doing that they forget that they came to watch something entertaining, but they're actually lost themselves and know that there's a winner and loser and that it's real. And, and, and I had to capsulate that for a second because he did put in perspective compared to what your father produced and what he did and, and, and all the wrestlers did to today. But then every time you go back and watch things like this, I'm thinking it, it had so much to do with with the everything the commentary all the way down as as you don't sit there and see a jim roster joel watts or bill watts ever put themselves over uh you you know whereas now because they bring ex-wrestlers in uh, we still have that ego and that persona in which we have to do that which takes away from the match you know like my father said and, and that's what's so fun you know for me occasionally to watch jim ross because jim ross has his own way but you could tell where he was mentored and who he learned from and when you listen to jim ross especially when they put him with a the king lawler or someone else he's the true color commentary yeah and 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 they are supposedly the character but you know what who's the most consistent character in the world is jim ross yeah I see what Jimmy's got a really interesting role on that. I don't know if you if either you catch AEW, but he's not the main play-by-play man, but he's kind of the it's kind of a hybrid. But he I still think he's doing an incredible job week to week in AEW. He's, he adds yeah. such a such a degree of you just you just listen. If he's talking, you're listening. Well, and I think that's learned, so important. He learned from Gordon Soley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's who I had him study was Gordon Soley. Yeah. And he's yeah. so good in this in, in this era as well. And on, on. I mean, he's good forever, but he's just so good. Jim out of, when I hired Jim out of college, we made him help put up the ring. He had a referee. He learned the business from yeah. the ground up. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, he, loved, he loved the business. As long as he could be a part of it, that's all he wanted. And he's, yeah. he's one of the best. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it almost seems like, it almost seems like, you know, and I don't talk to him as often, you know, as I used to. But the, the crazy thing about it is when I talk to him, he is he, he that same love and drive is what he has today for the business. Yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's, it's never clear. gone away. It's a yeah, whole yeah, new yeah. set of characters. I mean, Crikey, you think about the number of sets of characters that he's had to, you know, learn oh. them, learn their characters, learn their moves. I mean, yeah. I mean Crikey, you're thinking from what the start of the 80s all the way through to 2020, what you're 40 years plus of, you know, every six months, yeah. someone's, you know, a few people are recycling that. Sure. Incredible. Um, going back to the match, Ted limped to the ring with a bandage on head. Bill, do you remember, when did you um, sort of have, a, when did this become a thing for you in terms of, I need DiBiase as a good guy here. Uh, again, he hadn't been, I don't think he'd been a good guy since maybe 80 or 81. So do you remember when that sort of came to you? That's, now, we had the deal with Orndorff and DiBiase. That, what part was that, Eric? Where was that? When, hey, who would who, who, we, we turn heel, DiBiase or Orndorff? Uh, 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 no, and now you got me on that one because I remember the commentary, Dad. I don't know what I think it was Jim Ross that even said in this match when DiBiase went out and they started chanting DiBiase, he goes, That's an unfamiliar reaction that fans are actually cheering DiBiase in this. So, on the Orndorf, Dad, I no, I don't know. I don't well, know. We had a deal, we were doing something, and Ernie Ladd was who, who spotted. We needed to change DBS, and I don't remember the. I can't remember the deal. Is the were expensive, and you you'd run them and erase them and run them and erase them until they ran out of light. But ours bicycle, so it'd be this week in this part of the territory, and then the next one and the next one. Mm. So we're in Jackson, Mississippi, which was a big club for us, a big a big venue. And it was DiBiase and Orndorff. And DiBiase, I think, had turned heel. And so they they had to work together. And I told them they still had to both work babyface. Oh, uh, yeah. But, said, yeah, yeah, this is really good. Go, go ahead, they bro. said, yeah, but, but we, I said, yes, but the people here haven't seen that. So you're going to work babyface. And they didn't think they could carry the match for an hour. Mm. I was going to have split falls and go through the hour baby face and they didn't think they could do it so i i looked at them both and i said i thought you guys were ready for the big time <laughs> apparently you're not ready yet you know here's the deal you're still going to go within five minutes of the hour ending and here's a finish for you if you can't make it through if you can't handle it this is your way out yeah and i left, wow. and I left it up to them and they tore the place down baby face and that's when both of them that's when they both grew and realized what they were and what they had. Yeah, I think this was back end of 81 and into 82 was the, was. the right. I think and I think that, that was, was the, Ted's heel turn, I think. But I, yeah, I didn't but start until 83. One of the greatest angles so, yeah. was the best dressed man between DiBiase and Duggan. I absolutely yeah. love that with Joel and the soundometer and the car outside. I was, I was, the I way we it. did it, yeah. it looked like it was real because we didn't stop it and reshoot it and the whole yeah. crowd's let me, let me make one clear point. I remember, I'll never forget, Sting told me when I came to WCW to help out Turner Broadcasting. He said, the business has changed, Bill, since you. And I said, you're right, Sting. None of you guys today have ever fought your way going to the ring or from the ring because you've given the business away and everybody knows it's fake. I said, I've had to fight my way to the ring and fight my way from the ring. A matter of fact, when I wrestled Bobo Brazil in Washington, D.C., the year Johnson had the Equal Rights Amendment signed, when the when the town was on fire, racially, mm. they had peed in buckets, 
and they had the guy with the Saturday Evening Post because I was the first guy that crossed into mainstream media for a big magazine article. He was traveling with me for the week. Myron Cope, the guy invented the terrible towel in Pittsburgh. He was with me and he went to the ring and he said, Bill, have the police take me to the dressing room. You're not going to make it out of here alive. And when we came in, they had built a wire thing over the entrance. They threw human piss in buckets on me. Crikey, that's a different level, isn't it? That night, yeah. that night, when I beat Bobo, they were coming in the ring, opening up knives. Mm. They overran 40 guards and they had the way blocked. And Bill Zacco caught my eye and gave me the high side to go a different way, not the way they expected. And I fought my way clear, jumped the hockey retaining wall, kicked the fire door open and ran and hid in the filling station and called back for my clothes. Mm. Yeah, we, that, we, that, we, none, we, none of these guys today have ever experienced that. No. Well, no. Now, now, hold on, Dad. There's a few times I went out with the guys and we partied so hard, I pissed my own pants. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were going to go there, Eric, but I'm quite glad you did. To honest, so, yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, damn it, man. I thought my life was rough. <laughs> I mean, here's a question for you. We're going, we're going off topic here now, a little, a little bit, but we'll, we'll jump back on it. But, Bill, what do you think? Do you think that, do you think that wrestling could have stayed i mean what you said earlier on is true i went to my first show in london since pre-pandemic about six weeks ago and i don't know if you've heard of a guy called will osprey he's a british guy works works in japan predominantly he was in the main event for the british title and i was in i didn't have one thought in my mind about anything other than this is a contest and i'm bought into who's going to win but then i know you know i read you know i read the news this is podcast etc so i you know i i know that it's predetermined but I, I don't like like when you're watching a movie i'm not sitting there watching a movie thinking well this is not real so this is going to spoil my enjoyment but my question to you bill is do you think wrestling could have retained more of a feel of sure. um realness believability sure. do you think or do you think with sure. everything else it's too hard now you know the when i was an amateur wrestler i mm. watched pro wrestling when i was getting in it the only thing i didn't realize was how much of a work it was Mm. I didn't realize the total amount of, of, of how it worked. Yeah. But the bottom line, sure it is. That's what we proved when we switched the title to Ron Simmons in Baltimore at WCW. We used Jake the Snake Roberts and some other guys, and we set that thing up, and the match went off. And when you looked at the rings, that people were crying. They, yeah. It was back like the old because it was done right. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the thing. If you interviewed a ringside fan... They'd say, no, I don't think it's all level. But by gosh, those two guys, <laughs> that Murdoch and Killer Carl Cox, they hate each other. They yeah. beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. They were the two biggest buddies that ever walked was mm. Cox. Yeah, that's and, true. And so when you see the, the good guys work, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't tell the difference. Mm. Right. Yeah. But, it, but And so, again, the guys haven't experienced that. I mean, you know, there were some deadly riots back in the day. Mm. And you, you know, you were worried about getting burned or getting cut open. Uh, you know, I, I know guys that have had, you know, a cigar jabbed against your sweating skin when it burns through the sweat. You know, it, it hurts like hell. Yeah. Yeah. You, you I mean, dad, like I, 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 dad, remember, I mean, you got stabbed in the leg with a, uh, a pen in what, Minnesota, ballpoint right? Pen. A, yeah. Ballpoint yeah. pen into, into his calf, right? And, and, and my, even, my little old lady is about 60 or 70 years old. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and like dad saying though, you know, cause some of the, some of these people are pretty good at what they do, you know, cause when you come out of the ring, 
sweaty as hell too and they throw a cigarette and and yes it's a it's a difficult chance but that cigarette sticks to your back with that cherry on that cigarette burning your back and you can't get to it you want to just pull that fan out of the stands and do something Mm. so um but but again because i watched my father's wrestling production and then i got to wrestle like he said two completely different attitudes and two completely different um emotions when you did it but when he came into wcw he also had a way of going, we are going to take it back. So, you know, so he took the mats off the, uh, the rings, right? He, he got on the guys that jumped off the top rope in certain matches and, and, and so forth and so on. Well, not only did it make it real for the fans, you should have heard the boys in the back. What? What are we doing? And then it just made it, it, made it more real for us. You mm-hmm. know, even, even when I was at WCW, there was no more going on the same plane. There was no more good guy riding with bad guy. There was no so, – he, he changed the atmosphere, not just for the fans, for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it almost reminds me of the theater actor acting, right? Like Will Smith had ju- Will Smith just came out with an article that the reason why he, him and his first wife did not make it is, I can't remember the movie he was doing, but he did the, the theater acting to where he spent weeks and months preparing. And mm-hmm. he got so in his head that he was going to love his love interest on the set that he literally fell in love with the love interest on the set. I say, and he said said, that would be the last time he ever did that type of theater acting because he got so involved. He got so into the character. Well, okay. That's deep. My point is it, it made it easier as a wrestler too, for him to come in and say, Nope, this isn't allowed. This is allowed. If you're not here, you're fine. If you're everything got real. Yeah, yeah. So then, and then everyone talked about it. It was pro wrestling 24 seven around the guys too. Well, plus when you came in to get in the business, you generally got stretched. Yeah. Yep. Generally, they generally stretched your ass, you yep. know, in Florida, boy, you really got stretched because the sportatorium there, they had their own little arena where they did the TV in Tampa. And I mean, you got brought in there and you got the living shit beat out of mm. you. Hey, not, hey, not that they respected the business. Not, not, a, if you sorry, go out Dan. there like Danny Hodge was so good, he, he could tie you up, hmm. and make you look like a fool, but he's not hurting you. Yeah. And you've been watching the pros, so if you don't get hurt, you don't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you got that. tied up, you don't believe it. Yeah. So, but, hey, hey, hey Stephen, when I was a kid, I was a kid right, because my dad, you know, there, there was a few times that the stretching went too far, of course. Um, I think my dad stressed someone into, you know, into the hospital one time in Texas. But my, the issue was that my dad, my dad told, had told me, dad, remember when you were saying there was like, when someone was going to come in to try out and they were just a smart ass. And then you put some stud as like a janitor you know, working around the ring. And you say, you couldn't whip anyone's ass. And it would be something like killer. I bet you couldn't beat the janitor, you piece of Oh joke. my God. And he did it like a, like a joke on the guy, basically. No, he was a British guy. Oh, was he? he was okay. British guy. What was his name in Florida? And he, he, he was, he, he, he did the ring and the, and he re- refereed. I can't think of his name right now. He was a he was a stud. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He could hook people. <laughs> and we had him sweeping the floor. <laughs> and the guy wanted to try it. I said, Well, we got no oh uh, we'll take the janitor over there and he'll try out with you. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> the, guy, the guy later said, I never seen a guy come out of his overalls and have a complete tan. A great tan. <laughs> he just <laughs> works hard on it. What can we say? What can we say? Was, he was married to to to, to Le- Laverne. His son is was a 
uh, Eric was an All-American at OSU and, and then was a, in the, in, he was also Sambo, a Sambo guy. Oh, oh no, yeah, 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 yeah. Because the dad, dad, okay. Gordon, the Gordon, name. Gordon, Gordon, Gordon. Um, yes, 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 yes. Because you, you got him to send me a tape of his son doing Sambo for the Olympics. Yeah. Um, I'll think of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so, yeah, so, we, yeah, we, there was, I want to tell you, there were some real fun things that got. Yeah, me. I bet. We, we had a guy one time, it was, I was supposed to stretch in Little Rock and I was delayed due to the weather. So Hodge took him in the ring. And Hodge tied him up, and but then the guy tried to scratch Hodge's eye to get out. So Hodge had a key lock on him. He just flexed it, flexed it, and broke his arm in two places. Ooh. So by the time I get there, he's got the arm and the key. Well, well, Mr. Watts, who's going to pay for this? I said, Well, you got a magic mirror at home, son. He said, Really? I said, Yeah. Go ask. Say mirror, mirror on the wall. <laughs> who's a dumbass that's going to pay for this all? You know, <laughs> you dumbass. I guess Danny, I've read a lot about Danny Hodge. I guess if you're going to scratch, try and scratch someone's eye out, that's probably not the man to 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 do that to. I'd imagine he's not the guy to mess with. No, no, no. In, Danny's uh, not. Wasn't, Danny wasn't mean. He was yeah. great. Mm. He was great. You're not going to outrun him. You're not going to outbox him. You're not going to outwrestle him. Now, what yeah, the hell yeah, do? yeah. Well, nothing really, are you? You know. I've seen Danny in every situation in the world. Mm. He is truly. I've never met anybody like him. Yeah, I've heard some incredible stuff. Go, going back into this match, so, so what what was happening early on? So Ted's head was covered in blood from what happened earlier on. Yeah, uh, bandage came loose in ninety seconds, and what I said earlier on is I was there was so much drama here, and I was I was sitting there willing the referee do not stop this match for blood, and I, and I was just like, this is this such high drama here. At six minutes forty five, Rick kicked Ted DiBiase away when Ted was applying the figure four, and Ted flew over the top rope. He hit the ringside fence with his head perfectly. And then about 30 seconds later, that was it, uh, with Flair winning by a count-out. But that was only just the start of this. So about as good as a seven-minute match as you could possibly do, really. I thought it was phenomenal, great drama. Um, Dick Murdoch then reappeared, and he beat down DiBiase again, including a brain buster on the concrete floor. Um, and for me, this really had... I mean. What I was going to say, it reminded me of happened 11 years afterwards or 11 and a half years afterwards. But it's really reminded me of the double turn with Steve Austin and Bret Hart at WrestleMania 13. Uh, and maybe this is maybe whoever booked that knew about this, probably because everything that's old is, is new again, isn't it? In wrestling. Um, so I just thought this was a phenomenal segment. And Bill, did, do you remember what was the plan? Because I, I know that DBSC was off to all Japan for uh, a month for a real world tag league in December of 85. So clearly part of this was to make, you know, write him out, if you like, for a month or so before bringing him back for the big Christmas Day show against Murdoch. But do you remember with DBSC and Flair, was there a plan to do a run with them? Because I don't think they ever, this was their only ever singles match, I believe. But I, you know, you're, I don't know. That's too much. That's, yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's where, that's where like, you know, I was telling Eric, I said, a lot of the interviews I did, I either have Jim Cornette or Jim Ross there. Yeah. Yeah. They, they remember everything of every bit because they're yeah, still yeah. in the business. <laughs> right. You right. Safe, when you get away from the business, that's why I said, if, I wanted Eric to be sure because he'll remember things. I can remember if I get to talking about it, mm. you know, but, but, but a lot of times it's not refreshing. And so I, right. so I'm just I'm a blank on a lot of this stuff as to until right. somebody reminds us of. Uh, I wondered of, whether in '86 that it was po possibly because you guys were going national as well, and you were going into some Crockett towns and you know other towns. I know you went into um, 
quirky, uh, maybe world-class towns as well and stuff at that point. And I wondered whether actually the reason that the flair and DiBiase thing didn't happen is because actually you were, that was broke, that kind of relationship with the NWA was over, I suppose, maybe after this, because obviously with the UWF. No, that's just me me guessing. When when you talk about could we have stayed the same in a way, you got to remember that when Vince's dad ran WWWF, how he worked, he was just more of a, had more diplomacy mm. and didn't have a desire to conquer the world. And so like, like let's say I had Waldo Von Eric. Yeah. Who was a big star in New York too. So Vince had called me and said, Bill, we need Waldo and he's going to start here on such and such a date. We'll need him for TV this week and this week. How does that work for you? Mm. Well, I knew two things. He can make more money there for Vince in the garden and places that he can for me. So I'm not going to stand in the way of that or I would have an unhappy camper. Yeah. And I'd ruin a great relationship that Waldo and I had my entire career. And so we'd work it out. And then, you know, Vince is, you know, Bill, you're always easy to work with. How about I give you an extra week on Andre the Giant? Yes. Yeah. That's, a, that's a week of sellouts right there. Yeah. If you've got your territory ready, that's a week of sellouts. Yeah. Yeah. And so you see, that's how Vince would work. And, 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 and Vince Jr. was in a conquest. Mm. And he won. He won. He did it. He, Vince told me if the first uh, Star Wars, what, what's his big deal? West, uh, WrestleMania. Yeah. If it hadn't hit, he was broke. Yeah. Yeah. He was on the cusp of broke. Yeah. Because he had, he'd done everything first class. Mm. But so, you know, again, he, he, he took it to a completely different level. But every time they came in against us, we outdrew them. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that product, especially in the eighties, you know, if you look at, I've watched quite a lot of the stuff from Houston because quite a lot of the Houston Library survived, so the longer matches. But you look at that versus uh, maybe a Saturday night's main event, one of the early ones. It's, it is a different level in terms of the in ring stuff. I know the guys in the WF in the eighties had a, had a brutal, brutal schedule, but it wasn't about uh, my, my my view. It I don't, again, just a fan. WWF eighties was ring entrances, get the star in seven minutes, get them out, get the next one in. And that was what it was about, but not necessarily work rate, which I think, you know, work rate and drama and violence, I think it's probably fair to say in terms of, you know, blood feuds and all that sort of stuff is probably more what what Mid-South was presenting in the UWF. Well, a lot of bookers, where they would lose it, they would have violence for the sake of violence. Yeah. That doesn't work. It makes everybody a part of the charade. Yeah. My thing was there had to be like an authority that wanted to draw a line somewhere that yeah. could get compromised as long as we didn't know. Like, for instance, the deal when we blinded JYD. Yes, yeah. We didn't, we didn't make it obvious. Remember, no. it was a hair match. Plausible deniability, yeah. Had to. Yeah. Otherwise, how do you let somebody blind somebody? Because they should be in prison. Yeah. Well, and and the Louisiana Athletic Commission. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. was right. still a legitimate commission. Yeah. yeah. And all the different the same thing I talked about when I went to WCW about coming off the top rope. Was I doing away with it? No. I was taking it back a step where it couldn't be done with the referee could see it. Mm. Right. That's what you get heat by. Just going yep. out there, if you're a heel and you go out mm-hmm. there and just beat the baby face down, that doesn't get heat. You ought to be the baby face. Mm-hmm. Me as a baby face, no heel was going to outbox me, outfight me, or outwrestle me. 
They were going to have to cheat me somehow. The difference was I would figure ways to hurt myself by missing something. Yeah. To get yeah. down where he could take over. Yes. And the guys lost that. So you see what I mean? You, you, it's, it, they don't know the psychology. That's why so many of the older guys could stay and keep working till they got so old because they had the psych. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. So the, the, the Shawn Michaels. You know, I remember when him and Taker, uh, uh, one of the last ones I went to live, he and Taker, they stole the show. I was there as well. I saw you in the Hall of Fame the night before, actually. Yeah, so that was in Houston, wasn't it? They yeah. stole yeah. the show. Yeah, it's one of the best matches I've ever seen. Yeah, it was phenomenal. The, I the, the, yeah, I told them both they did. Yeah. That moment when Mike was kicked out of the tombstone, that's that's no one's, that's real. It's real, 100% real. That is Half the crowd jumping out of the seats to support Michaels. Half the crowd can't believe it and you know, think, the is this the end thing, of the street? The amazing Unbelievable. thing is we, 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 got, we, we got sidetracked getting to a town to do a TV for Vince. Vince got lost. And we get there, and guys are late, and we're time to start on air. And I got two of their stars that are going to do a 10-minute match mm. and didn't have an hour to put it together. Mm. <laughs> they were at a loss and i'm thinking are you kidding me yeah are you kidding me how, how, i remember one time my plane was late getting into jackson mississippi they'd held the crowd it's midnight now the sheriff's department met me at the airport i changed into my gear on the way i did a two out of three fall match with the spoiler and gary hart as the manager and we had double juice and everything else <laughs> and never got the we weren't even in the did same dressing room yeah yeah I mean that's oh, yeah. I can't really talk to that. I, you can you can talk more about that than me. But I, yeah, I guess that's that's the the difference no, yeah, in, in yeah, how some people do it, isn't it? Yeah, even when I talked to my dad, this was probably around the Hall of Fame time. I think it was a Hall of Fame time, and um, he's like, "Son, he goes, you're not going to believe this." I go, "What?" He goes, "They have a whole like convention center where they have seven or eight or nine rings set up, and the guys mm. come in and they do their matches." To, to get the okay of Vince, I go, what? I mean, so even in the short amount of time that I was out of wrestling, things had changed that much because I was at WWE, I was at WCW, and I, was, I we, ne- we never we never did that. So it, it was it was taking that really fast roll. Um, I was at DDP's house um, not too long ago, and he was he had some guys from AEW and this that and the other, um, and we were talking, and someone came in, and I spoke Carney to that guy, and this kid goes, what are you doing? And I go. Oh, and, and, and Dallas goes, no, no one knows Carney anymore. Mm. I go, oh, you know, so, I mean, not that that's important. I'm, what I'm trying to say is things have changed so dramatically. And, and yeah. you're talking even even back then when my dad told me that on my face, I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you are you serious, dad? I, like, I, I was like, what? What happened? In the short time that I had gone, that's how things had, had changed so much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, I suppose it, it's different. I mean, they're, they're wrestling is an interesting spot at the moment because WWE makes more money than any company's ever made in history, but less people are watching it than any time in my lifetime. But the sport, I mean, Bill, crikey, think, I mean, perhaps you don't want to think about this, but your product and the ratings you used to do in those home markets for sports rights, even, even if it was the number three wrestling promotion in the States or two or one, you think the money that's available for the, for those for those sort of ratings, you know, it'd be a license. It's a license to print money now, but it's just the world has changed. WWE. I don't watch too much WWE now. I watch I watch New Japan and I watch AEW, uh, and I follow some independent stuff as well. But it's um yeah, it's it's, it's interesting coming out of the pandemic. Just just going back to the to the show. Um, 
there's a couple of couple of questions I wanted to ask before we get on to the kind of closing bit, which I thought was really revolutionary as well. Mid South use a lot of original music during this time, and I know that World Class did that as well. But what, you know, how did that come? Because I love the Joel's music that, videos that, are amazing. Jerry, 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 Jerry and I got to give him credit for that. Yeah, yeah. And he had Jimmy Hart. So what? The one thing about Jimmy Hart, you know, Jimmy Hart had what ten real gold albums. I mean, Jimmy yes. Hart was a legitimate yeah. performer. And what Vince did was pay Jimmy to write the music that they didn't have to pay ASCAP. Yeah. Right. Well, That's I right. was using music and then ASCAP called. I hung up on them twice. <laughs> and finally, I, my lawyer, I called my lawyer, who was the Speaker of the House of the, of the Louisiana, in the Louisiana House, and told him, he said, you tell them to call me and stay off the phone. They will hang you up. And he negotiated a deal. They were not hard. They weren't hardcore on it. We started paying them a, a nominal amount. And we could use the music. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. It still so exists we, on we YouTube. We did all these videos. Yeah. Joel would do the videos and then edit right. them and everything else. And editing was, was so hard before. The I can't imagine how well. bad it must have been well, to do those Florida, All of Florida, that was, that was uh, Gordon Soley's son, wasn't it? That I think did, that shot our video. And that, that was all on, 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 on film. Yeah. That's why they have to do all the, all the cutaways to create the moment that he could go back back and forth yeah i can't imagine how difficult that must have been go on if you go on youtube and say cowboy bill watts versus jack briscoe Mm. that's a match in the 80s and gordon soley and i are commenting it i'm a heel and there's jack who was one of my dearest friends we were friends since high school and we're we're working the thing and of course i'm and i'm i'm turning everything around backwards Mm. or find that match on Georgia Championship Wrestling of me and wrestling too. Oh, we'll do. Yeah, I definitely will. You know, um, there's some good old matches on him. I was amazed that that, that match uh, with uh, Jack Briscoe was still out there. There's loads of great YouTube. I mean, I wish I'd had YouTube when I was a kid because it's now it's just it's just a wonderful resource for 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 old wrestling stuff. And um, one other question I want to ask during this show as well, getting away from Ric Flair and um and Ted DiBiase, there was a competition where people could write in to win a portrait of Eddie Gilbert. And I know that there'd previously um, been um some competitions with like winning a date with the Rock and Roll Express and that sort of thing. Was this to get? A mailing list of people, or or, or, or was that not the thinking? It was it's just no, something, we to, something to do we on the TV. We weren't to that level yet. No, uh, okay. That's where that's another thing. Vince was so far ahead of us. He understood the power of the marketing, and he took the marketing to a huge, huge number. Where the mm. guys made so much money, we weren't anywhere close to that. Because I know they did that with a Hogan injury angle in 1990. But I wondered if this was <laughs> this was something that had happened. You know, that you wrote right in to say get well soon Hulk or yeah. whatever and they just sent them a load of catalogs after that basically so right right yeah, pr- yeah pr- they pr- have a, I have that I don't I don't know um so yeah. basically what where this where this ended um was in terms of in terms of this angle um in the final segment of the show we got again Joel perfect tone very serious and we got some shots in in the Irish McNeil Boys Club that we'd never seen before. So different angles. And we basically had Ted sort of laid out on the floor, surrounded by other wrestlers and referees checking on him. Uh, And Joel said that, unfortunately, we weren't going to be able to have the the last match planned because this was too serious. So again, of course, you wouldn't have another match if this was going on, which made complete sense. He was talking about how badly lacerated Ted was. um, And he was carried carried to the back on um, on a backboard. Uh, and Joel said he's spoken with you and also Grizzly Smith. You're both enraged and they'd not, you've not announced the finance of yet, but you're going to come back and think about it. So obviously 
exactly as you would do if a big incident happened in like an NFL game or something like that. Um, we actually even saw, so we even saw Ted getting some oxygen surrounded by medical staff. And I just <laughs> thought this is heavy duty. This is heavy duty stuff. And this is whenever he's going to be, you know, promised a, you know, an update on Ted next week, some stuff about the television title tournament for, to, to crown a new champion. But this was, you're going to find out in the local promos in a few weeks' time that Ted and Dick Murdoch are in, the, you know, the uh, I think it's the UNO Lakefront Arena in New Orleans on Christmas Day. You're when are you, you're not you're buying a ticket to that all day long. And I just thought this was this is probably my favourite. I've I, I love the um, best dressed man competition. There's lots of other favourites. Um, some Magnum stuff with Mr. Wrestling too. I absolutely love that whole angle. But this is probably my favourite show I've watched in two years worth of television now. So. Yeah, Thank just a, just it's a fantastic. Amazing it's amazing to me the following. The mm. last deal I did at a fans thing where I took live questions, I was so impressed with the fans and the questions they asked. Mm. Yeah. And now you, here you are again, and I can see how serious you are. And I and I'll reflect on that, but it uh, it gives me a lot of pride that people are enjoying it that much, enjoyed it then, and still enjoying it, and how how wonderfully serious good fans are. I think this art, it lives forever, Bill. I think I think part of it's YouTube because you get the original stuff. And actually, let's give them their, their due. The WWE Network, I know it's different slightly in the States as it is here now, but I think this act this this level of access, you can literally spend a Saturday afternoon watching, you know, yeah, yeah. six months worth of Mid-South. Um, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. One one question I, I wanted to ask you before um before I let you go is and this may be no maybe absolutely none but i just wondered if it was whether this is mid-south wcw later in wwf whether it's a match finish or a wrestler you kind of wish you pushed in a different way or push someone to stop was there one wrestling one wrestling pure wrestling decision you made that if you had your time over again you'd, you'd tweak it or not are you just like i'm it was what it was. I'm very happy with how things worked out. Is there one thing that sort of stands out in your mind? I'd have to give that some thought. You know, it's a funny thing. I got a plaque around here somewhere that was given to me. It said, to the man that never kissed anybody's ass. Yeah. <laughs> that's a nice plaque. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure that's a good plaque to have. I think there's times that I could have done something a little bit different that would have been okay. beneficial to everybody. Mm. I mean, you know, what we all are, we're all victims of our pride. Mm. And we, even if we think we have it under control, oftentimes we don't. The only thing that separates mankind from God is our pride. Yeah. We, yeah. Can't, really, we can't really understand a sovereign being. And we, then we are, if, if so, we want to have meritorious influence. And you can't manipulate or influence God. Mm. He is sovereign. So the bottom line is... Our pride does a lot, and, and and especially, you know, guys, it's an interesting thing. If you had interviewed men and you interviewed women and said, would you rather be loved or respected? Most men would say respected. Mm. Men demand respect. I give you respect when we start talking unless you do something for me not to. Women would say, I'd rather have love. But without respect, there could be no true love. You see what I mean? So there's a big, big difference. And our pride is always what's in our way. Mm. So, yeah, there's, hey, I, there's a lot of things I could have done differently. You know, I, I destroyed my marriage. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's the wrestling business was a killer on marriages. 
You were never home. There was too many things on the road. It was a tough, tough business. My territory was one of the worst logistically. Mm, yeah, I know. It's big, big travels on there. Yeah. Was yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I had to learn to fly an airplane. Absolutely. That's a good good way around it, isn't it? Flying a private plane. Sorry, Eric, what are you going to jump in with there? No, I, I, I'm, I'm like, because, you know, I can replay so many things in my mind. You know, first of all, I wrote for Georgia Championship Wrestling for a year or so. Completely different platform is Georgia Championship Wrestling, Jerry Oates, 2000, like three, four, whatever. And the difference between me wrestling and me writing is that I had to take a stance in which I was producing and writing what I knew it took to make that territory successful. So, and I didn't really care how people thought about it. I mean, the wrestlers or the guys and, and nor should I, because if they were good enough to write, then they'd be writing. Okay. Mm. So, so, so it puts you in a situation too, where I didn't really talk to the guys about what they wanted or didn't want or liked or didn't like. <laughs> I could judge how I wrote based on attendance, okay? But then it also, like my dad is saying, you can uh, you, you, I, you could look back and go, oh, well, maybe I could have done that different. I, I, in the little time I had, can't take that time to think about that because hindsight, right? Like I, I, can, think of, I can think of plays still to this day. There, there's a play in college – we're, we're at Ohio State. Uh, it's a sold out. It's ESPN. It's my first start. And, you know, and, and here we are. We got, ES, we got Ohio State on the ropes. Oh, we're at Ohio State on the ropes. And, and we've gotten down to third and goal, five yards out, no time left. We're down eight points. So we got to score and we got to go for two. And so the coach that I believed in Schnellenberger said, we're throwing it to Braum because he would, he would pick a person in a situation like that, and we're going to do this play just for that person. I never guessed it. Mm. Well, here's the deal. Greg Brom didn't tell anyone he'd fractured his foot on the play before that because now the coach is counting on him. Mm. And, and, the, and the pass the pass was to drop back and, and a timing pass. Now, I, drove, I dropped back, and I could see he was going to make a cut and go out, and he's got this guy beat. And I, I, I dropped it on a dime to where it would be perfect for him. But I, I – I saw him and when he cut in, it looked a little bit slow, but I thought he was just faking the guy out. Now here's the deal. I felt that I did not have immediate heat on me. So I could have, because where we're at on the hash mark, maybe waited to flatten the route out, but I knew my athlete wasn't as fast as their athlete. And they could. So I'd done this a thousand times in practice. And so I threw it up there and still to me, it was almost like a, a gerbil on a wheel. Mm. I'm like, why, why isn't he running under this? And it drops. And it was a huge comeback, right? And so then, you know, thinking it back, I could have dropped back, taken the time and, and adjusted and maybe it worked out for me. However, that's just the way, that was what I was programmed to do. And my program was success. And I think that's what happens in a writing scenario too, when you're writing or, or you're playing things out. You're doing this in real time and you are doing it to the best of your ability, not to the best of your ability, but I mean, you're doing, you're putting for the best product every week all the time you don't have time to guess yourself the one thing i do know yeah. the one thing i do know when you start guessing you everyone sees it and and now you're in trouble yeah uh, i was laughing i was laughing because i was thinking about my father something else that he did <laughs> so he was talking to me he goes did you ever see mickey did you ever see that the the the, the, the movie wrestler i'm like yeah i think they yeah did, yeah they did a, 
I said, I think they really did a good job with that. As a matter of fact, someone had asked me that did the stunts to come on that set and to be on the set. And I, I couldn't at the time. And, um, and you, you don't know how big it is, but I really liked it. Because, you know, I like Mickey Rourke. And, and, this, is, and this is what this is uh, what I love so much about my father. He makes sure that people respect pro wrestling. The, the, the guys being upset about the changes he was making or the force he was had no respect for the business or didn't understand it. You know, like, like when my coach said, you're throwing to this guy, I trusted that and we went with it, right? And they trusted him or they should and they went with it. I'm like, yeah, dad, what about Mickey? He goes, and I think, dad, you can tell the story so much better, but I think it was a WrestleMania or something you were at. And Mickey that's the Houston one, the Houston one. Yeah. Yeah. And Mickey, Mickey come up and say, Hey, can I wear your hat? And my dad's like, son, I don't give a shit who Mickey Rourke is. I ain't giving no one my hat. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, it's just, it's just that when you know who you are and you know what you believe in and, and you know what you stand for, it's all the way. It's it's all the way. And, and, and that plaque where my father has, about he, he's never kissed anyone's ass. Well, guess what? He doesn't know it. I'm gonna steal it and regift it to him. Because as a, as a fa- as a father, that was the one. That's the one most beautiful thing. Whether he, whether I felt um, uh, he was doing the best or not, he was a hundred percent father, and he did everything at a hundred percent. And that include apologizing occasionally if he thought he did something wrong. And I would much rather in my life be around someone all day long that lives life at a hundred percent than anything else. You know, yeah. it's the people that take, it's the, take, it's the people that take the time too much to rethink that oh, I could have and should have. I think it's a waste right? of energy. I could think about bad golf shots I've hit when I'm in a little like conversation with my friends, but actually what's the point? I can't, can't live it again. Bill, have you got any final kind of words to the well, fans was, of Mid-South I Wrestling? To, I was trying to think of the, of the, of the guys that I that I met in the business from over the islands. Uh, of course, Pat Pat Barrett, an Irishman, is one of my favorites. Oh, he's, yeah. he's a good guy. And of course, Johnny Johnny Eagles, Billy Robinson, yeah, Tony Charles, some great great guys. You know I, that that I met in the business that are you know it, uh, it's a great. The other thing is my son talks about writing. I never wrote any of this. Mm. We discussed it. Yeah, yeah. And one thing we had in like in our television that every guy knew that worked for me, and anybody could get beat. If they didn't think they could get beat, I never I remember a guy would tell me this. I said, you know, you're right. I think you need to leave because I feel that I'd be holding you back. You're mm. you, you're the best there is in your own mind. You, I wouldn't want you to ever think that I held you back. So you just go ahead and we just didn't have a problem like that. If a, if a guy was too good to lose, he wasn't going to be working for me. No. You know, no I, even too good to Ernie, lose. I even tried to get Ernie Ladd in a, in a situation where he was working for my opposition mm. and I was getting him to come over to me and he wouldn't do it because his, his word was good. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he finally realized he couldn't make the money there, they didn't have the, the areas needed. He came and I said, okay, when you leave, don't get beat on TV. He said, oh, no. I'll get beat on TV just like you're supposed to. Yeah. A man of his word. His word was. Yeah. Yeah. And he was 6'9", 320. He was one of the, he was a big guy. Matter of fact, I had Ernie Ladd against against Andre the Giant in a single in the Superdome before Vince ever had it with with Hulk. 
but uh, anyway, it's it's and my, and my, one of my dearest friends, Hiro Matsuda, is who broke Hulk in. Mm. Hiro Matsuda was a classy, classy guy. So yep. yeah, it's, it's, I, I appreciate. Uh, I've enjoyed this time. Good, I'm really pleased. Yeah, and it's amazing to me here. We're here, and you're clear there, and we're sitting there. The technology, <laughs> technology is great. I, I try not to cuss it too much, but generally I'm I, I'm cussing something out when the computer confuses me. <laughs> it's hard for it to do. Don't thank worry, you. Bob. Uh, no, thank you. I, I just want to say it's been a pleasure, Eric. It's been great, um, you know, chatting to you on, on this show and also the last show. And Bill, it's it's you know this is this is kind of a bit of a dream come true that I never really thought would happen. I think I'll wake up tomorrow and realise that. I've had Bill Watts on the show. So this is incredible. Your art lives forever through this technology and, and everyone really, really appreciates it. And uh, yeah, you're always welcome back, you know, in the future. I'd love to do this again at some point. So yeah, just thank you very much. And thank you everyone for listening. And we shall speak to you all again very soon. Yeah, this is Eric Watts. And for all you phenomenal wrestling fans and fans of this podcast, please do me a favor. If you're looking at uh, more information about Mid-South Sports, Power Pro Wrestling, Universal Wrestling, go to universalwrestling.com and check out that website. It's a must see.